Well, our statement that we're considering this morning is that as a local church, we want to be mission-minded. That means having a heart to share the gospel, not only with those around us, but we're able throughout the world. And to do that by lovingly engaging with people in all of the various circumstances of life. And uh, we've been looking over these past weeks about the type of church we hope to be under the Lord's hand. And that we need his help. We can't do these things in our own strength. But we've said that we would want to be a church that glorifies God that is centred on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is grounded in the Bible, the Word of God, and that sees the importance of his church as central to his plan. And then from that, really, this morning, to look at how our hearts should be for the world to know about the Lord Jesus. Now, if you were to know anything about the history of this church and those associated with its beginning in the early 1800s, mission has been a driving passion. And those who were involved in founding the church and setting up under the Lord took that great commission of Jesus Christ very seriously to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptizing them. And they were willing to risk. They were willing to step out in faith, which led to some remarkable endeavors to take the truth of Christ, not only across this area, but across the world. As one explains, faith sees the word of God and the promises of God as more real and reliable than any apparent obstacle. It looks beyond the immediate conditions to the power of God to accomplish what he has planned. And that was very much the case for those who were involved in the beginning of the work here. And they believed in the unfailing purpose and promise of the Lord Jesus. Think of Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That sure promise that God is sovereignly at work to this end. And that means that the best and the worst that happens in this is under his control. But ultimately, that gospel mission cannot fail. And so even as a, a people, we have to have that solid confidence in the certainty of this mission to trust God, to take him at his word, and to believe in his sovereignty. Now, we know that local ministry and mission is vital to love people all around us, but we also need to have that global vision, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of sovereign grace proclaimed to the nations. And we believe that the Lord Jesus has his people across time and the world on his heart. And the closer that we draw to him and walk with him, the more mission-minded we will become. And you know, the, the challenge is that when churches are, are struggling, you know, maybe when they're, they're small and not many resources, it's easy to become focused on internal struggles. It's easy only to see the limitations and the circumstances. It is easy to lose that, that worldwide vision. But such an introverted perspective can be damaging to the health of a church. And yes, we, we may not have many resources, but it pleases the Lord when we're concerned for the glory of his name across the nations. And in fact, when you read through uh, the book of Acts, and we began to do that in our reading together, we see too that this is very much the mission and purpose of the Holy Spirit. 
and for all that's said today about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, often this is overlooked. We have to come back to the Word. And the Lord Jesus told us what the essence of the Holy Spirit's mission is. John 16, 14, He will glorify me. And so the Holy Spirit is pleased when the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. And that's very basic. One explains the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is at this or any time in the gospel age to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that he works to make the person and work of Christ real to people, to apply the gospel to them to show us who Jesus really is in his glory. And he does this through giving us new life. Regeneration, making what was dead in trespasses and sins, giving life. Convicting us, making us aware of our sin. And converting us, making us aware of our sin, but then turning us to trust Jesus for ourselves. And so the Holy Spirit works in sinners so that they turn from everything else and come to love Christ. And to trust him and obey him and to have that longing to speak of him, not only to those around them, but to all, to exalt Christ in the world. And so the Holy Spirit is pleased and more likely to come in his power where the truth about the Lord Jesus is being proclaimed clearly and with authority and from the word that he divinely inspired. And you can see that in Acts, think of Acts 10, and the Holy Spirit comes when Jesus is being proclaimed. And this is when the real work of the Holy Spirit is made known. The Holy Spirit loves to come and take the truth about Jesus and give understanding and to apply it to hearts and minds and draw us into a deeper understanding experience of the Savior. And he, he desires, he longs that Christ is exalted in the world. Look at the text that we read together in Acts 1, verses 7 to 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, when Jesus said that, how could he be sure that these disciples would press on to the end of the earth with their witness? Well, he could be sure because he was going to send the Holy Spirit upon them with power. And you say, well, why then does the, the coming of the Spirit guarantee that these disciples will press on to the end of the earth? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit shares that, that same mission, that same divine purpose and desire that Christ be exalted and proclaimed in the world. As one says, the Spirit's all-consuming passion is to exalt Christ to the ends of the earth. If this were not so, his coming would be no guarantee or incentive for us to press on in mission. But it is the desire of the Holy Spirit. And so the reason that the Spirit has a clear purpose to empower us to be a witness for Christ, not only in our circles where we are, but beyond, is because also it is God's purpose from beginning to end to glorify himself in the whole world. You know, you see that throughout the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. Numbers 14 and Habakkuk 2. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Joshua 4, when God brought his people into Canaan, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. 
Psalm 96, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. And so God has made known his ways and revealed his glory and displayed his works with a view to his glory throughout the nations. Isaiah 49, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you shall be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then at the end, Revelation 5, the great consummation, when all things are brought together. And what do we see? For you are slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood, speaking of the Lord Jesus, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see, the Spirit of God is at work in this way. This is the sovereign purpose of God and will be until the end of the age, the proclamation of Christ, the exalting of Christ to the ends of the earth, the ingathering of his people. And friends, if we love him, and as a church, if we love him, this is not something that we can be sort of apathetic about. You know, the global purpose of the Lord Jesus being glorified amongst the nations, it should be our passion. You know, there are lots of other important things and causes in life, but no other cause compares to this one. And as followers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our purpose, our reason for living is that the Lamb would receive the reward of his suffering, that his name be exalted across the world. And friends, that should be in our minds. And we can rejoice that God rules and reigns and that he calls people like us to be his witnesses, his ambassadors to go into this world with the very best news. And we rejoice that he will have his people from all the nations and uh, will sing to him and ascribe glory to him and strength to his son. But we need that vision and that passion to reach out to men and women, boys and girls with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this task, dear friends, is an unfinished one. We're still in this gospel age. There is still work to be done. We do not know when the end will come. Again, look at Acts 1 and verse 7. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You know, for all the, the gospel advance and wonderful ways that God is working around the world, even in the bleakest situation, there are still so many unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that there are just over 17,500 recognized people groups in the world? Of those, around 7,440 are unreached. That means they have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. To put that in some idea of how many people that is, that is over 3 billion people in the world. Does that challenge us? Does it move us? Because it should. And that mission-mindedness should mark us out as a particular Baptist church, but more significantly, it should mark us out because when we don't have that, we're in conflict with the heart and purpose of God as revealed in Scripture. 
And so this task is unfinished, but the amazing thing is this, that God uses his people to be witnesses in the world. The Holy Spirit uses the Lord's people, his disciples, to reach the world. Again, look at the second part of that text, Acts 1 and verse 8. It says, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Now, of course, there are those who make the mistake of exalting man's role in salvation, which takes the place of God and undermines his sovereign grace. But then there are those who go to the other side of things and they deny God's purpose and ways in using his people to proclaim the gospel and share Christ with the lost. You know, God uses means and he uses his people. You know, William Carey, who's often called the father of modern missions, when he began to preach on these things and to exhort and to speak of the need to preach the gospel to the nations, you know, hundreds of years ago, at one particular meeting, an older minister came to him and rebuked him and said this, young man, sit down. When God is pleased to convert the unbelieving world, he will do it without your help or mine. But you see, that goes against what we see in Scriptures because throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is pleased to use believers to take the gospel through the world, to use them to speak and challenge, and we're commanded to carry the message of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, risen for forgiveness of sins to people near and far. And when Jesus sent Paul, what did he say? I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What a privilege. What a privilege to be able to bring this, this message of hope and life. It's one of the reasons why we were saved if we're believers this morning. 1 Peter 2, but you are a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't have to use us. He's not bound to do that. He's sovereign. He, he does as he pleases, but it is in his purposes to do so. He's pleased to use us. And that's an incredible responsibility and privilege to speak of Christ in such a dark world. And it is a dark world. And it's a broken world. And men and women, apart from Christ, they are without true hope. And again, that should challenge us. And when we realize where those outside of Christ will, will spend eternity, our hearts should be moved for them. And we should long that they too will come to know the joy and the wonder of having their sins forgiven and to be delivered and saved and to have that hope of the glory to come. We proclaim the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, the one who came, who died, who rose again in triumph, the one who is able to save to the uttermost all that call on his name. And friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know him, he can save you if you will turn and trust in him. And the Spirit, he gives us power for this witness. You know, the Lord doesn't just purpose to use his people and then leave them without any help. 
without uh, enabling us to do it. Because people alone are useless in this mission. We need that enabling and empowering. And that's why Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. We can't do anything in our own strength. You know, Jesus had told his disciples in Luke 24, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, you might say, well, surely that was just for the disciples and those first believers. What relevance has that got to us today? Does it mean that, that we've somehow got to feel spiritually powerful before we obey God's call to mission or witness? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we have to serve in dependence upon the enabling and empowering of the Spirit of God. We can't do these things in our own strength. And we need him to work in us to convince us of the fact that the gospel really is the power of God unto salvation. We need him to convince us that the word of the cross is the power of God. We need him to convince us that the means that God has given are sufficient and that the message is sufficient even in this 21st century. And we need that empowering and enabling that only comes from him. And as believers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we know more of his empowering when we put our confidence in him. When we look to him and cry out for his help and rely upon him. And when we obey that command to go and proclaim the Lord Jesus. He will help us and empower us. And so we need to ask the Lord to stir this missionary mindset in us and that desire in us. And you say, well, how do we do it? Well, the first thing is to ask him. To pray together, to call on the Lord for a, a fresh outpouring of the power of God and the Spirit of God upon us and also upon all gospel churches who have that desire to see God's name glorified in the proclamation of the gospel. And we need to consider ourselves as individuals, as a local church, what priority do we give to mission in our hearts? You know, those discouragements I mentioned to William Carey earlier didn't deter him from carrying on. And later, Carey would be uh, ordained as a pastor at a place called Moulton, but the church was so poor that he had to carry on as a shoemaker as well as serve them. And in his shop, his shoemaking shop, Carey had a world map on the wall. And on one occasion, one of his friends, a man called Andrew Fuller, describes what it was like to go in. And he said, I remember on going into the room where he employed himself in his business. I saw hanging up against the wall a very large map consisting of several sheets of paper all pasted together by himself on which he had drawn with a pen a place for every nation in the known world and entered into it whatever he had found in his reading relative to its population, etc., etc. So a very early version of Operation World. And to carry that map of the world just spoke to him of millions needing to hear of Jesus. And in addition to the passion that was burning in his heart, he added in the fuel of all the facts about the different countries and he prepared a booklet, but he didn't have any money to publish and so he couldn't go ahead. So what did he do? Well, he prepared himself 
And as he waited on the Lord, he added to the Greek that he already knew, French, Dutch, Latin, and Hebrew. And then in 1791, God worked mightily amongst a small group of Baptist ministers at a special meeting. And Andrew Fuller preached a message about the danger of neglecting gospel mission. And after this message, there was a, there was a stillness amongst them. And they just were there quietly until Carey just felt compelled to urge immediate action that they should go and take the gospel out. Well, one of the ministers quickly poured water on that, as some are prone to do. But it was agreed that at least Carey's pamphlet be published. Another year went by. And then Carey was given opportunity to preach out his heart at an annual meeting in Nottingham. And he preached from Isaiah 54, Enlarge the place of your tent, let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. And it was in that message that he came up with that amazing line, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And you know, the man who had 12 years earlier told him to sit down, Dr. Ryland Sr., explains the effect of the message. He said, if all the people had lifted up their voice and wept as the children of Israel did at Bochim, I should not have wondered. It would only have seemed proportionate to the cause. So clearly did Carey prove the criminality of our inactivity in the cause of God. And so Carey's pamphlet was produced. The Baptist Foreign Missionary Society was formed in 1792 and Carey would go to India. And so the modern missionary movement had begun to gain that momentum under the Lord's hand. And it wasn't all success. It was great difficulties and trials and troubles. But they did it because they wanted Jesus' name to be exalted. And we need more of that pioneering spirit today. Do you know, I was reminded recently in the book of Judges how often people fail to trust God for the victory unlike those who had gone before, like Abram and Jacob and Moses and Joshua. And what happens in that Old Testament book of Judges is their unwillingness to step out in faith brought them to the place where it was said of their generation, they knew not the Lord. That generation rested only at what had gone before. And because of that, it led to an absence of vital living faith. They went by the same name as their forefathers. They lived in the same land, but they didn't know firsthand the God of their forefathers. And friends, even here, our forefathers, those who have gone before us, they had this pioneering spirit. They were committed to following Christ, seeing his name exalted and proclaimed. They didn't know the outcome always, but they had enough light to take the next step. And as they trusted God to meet their need, their needs at times seemed insurmountable, but God came through. Without God, it would have been impossible. And these men knew the immensity, they knew the impossibility of the task, but they cast themselves on the mercy and grace of God. And not only did the Lord lead them and provide for them, but he became so real to them. And friends, we need that. You know, you think of uh, Boson Smith, 
one of the early pastors here, his passion to reach sailors for Christ. And it led to the formation of the Seaman's Mission, a worldwide movement which is still operating today. Here it started. You think of the way in which this church, when it was in its very early years and still vulnerable, planted at least seven others in its formative years. The zeal may have at times outweighed the wisdom, but they were men of vision and faith. And they were willing to count the cost. And the danger is we can tell the stories of how God worked mightily through the likes of Carey and for them and provided for them and moved them and saved them. Those who, though they faced terrible trials and difficulties, trusted God. And though we appreciate these things, we'll never have the appreciation and experience that they had unless we too trust God to work. The danger is that we can live off the past rather than trusting God in the present. And we can be unwilling to count the cost. I read recently of an evangelist in India who worked hard to take the gospel to different villages that had never heard of Jesus. He didn't have much education. He was a simple man, but he really loved the Lord with all his heart. And he was ready to give his life for his master. And on one occasion, he arrived in a village. It was quite late on in the day. He was so tired. But he began to preach the gospel with those who came out and gathered in the middle of the village. And they mocked him. And they derided him. And they drove him away. And he was just so tired physically, emotionally, spiritually, that he just laid down under a tree, totally discouraged. And he went to sleep not knowing if he would ever wake up. The villagers could very easily come and kill him and that would be it. Suddenly, just after dusk, he was woken and the whole village seemed to be gathered all around him and were, were looking down at him under the tree. And he thought, well, I'm going to meet the Lord. I'm going to die. But then one of the main men in the village said, we came out to see what kind of man you are. And when we saw your blistered feet, we knew that you must be a holy man. We want you to tell us why you were willing to get blistered feet to talk with us. And so he preached the gospel to them. And the whole village believed. He counted the cost. You know, when David was faced with Goliath, he asked, is there not a cause? You know, the army of Israel was in maintenance mode. They were preparing, they were bringing supplies, sometimes dreaming about what might be, but they never stepped into the valley to face Goliath. David had pioneering faith. He understood the cause. It wasn't just to defeat Goliath primarily. It was this, 1 Samuel 17, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And our purpose is, friends, if we are believers this morning, that the Lamb who was slain, should receive the reward of his sufferings. And that should not stop being our heart right until the end. You know, there are many who draw a line under their usefulness, but, you know, I read of a man called Raymond Lowell. He was a scholar in Oriental studies. He was also a missionary to the Muslims. And as he grew older, he thought, well, what am I doing? He lived in Italy at the time, and he said, I'm just going to die here in Italy. And so he said, why not die in Algeria across the Mediterranean preaching the gospel? 
So knowing the danger, the cost of preaching publicly, he got on a boat. By the way, he was over 80 years old. And he crossed the sea. And he stayed underground for a while and encouraged the church, but then he felt compelled to reach out further to preach the gospel, and it was not long before he was killed for speaking of Jesus. You see, for that man to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the promises fired him, and as with so many like him, their love and courage came from knowing they had a great reward beyond the grave. Do you know, I've read so many times this week of brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are putting their lives at risk for love of people and to preach the gospel, but because they have that same courage knowing that they've got a reward beyond the grave. As a church, we need just a drop of that spiritual courage. But we so easily choose the least demanding path. And as we do, we won't know God like our forefathers. You see, our Lord has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every town, every village, every city, every community needs to hear of Jesus. You know, the outcome is in the Lord's hands. You know, we can't save people. Only God can do that. But it is our responsibility to tell them. And friends, we are just a small work, but who knows what God may yet do in us and through us in Penzance and who knows where else. And we can start by being serious about being interested in mission, by praying for mission, by supporting mission. Friends, Christ, the head of the church, has given us this clear mandate to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And we need workers here. And by God's grace, it may be that we need to send out workers. And so we need to pray and give and be ready to go. And even in difficult days... We must not lose sight of the purpose of God to glorify himself across the nations. And so, friends, where is your heart this morning? Where is mine? Do we take genuine interest in supporting missionaries through the right channels, prayerfully, financially, with ongoing practical concern? Are we praying that God would raise up those who can serve both near and far? There is no greater cause than Christ and the gospel being preached in every land. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. May that be our heart, dear friends, and may we be those who are motivated to step up to that unfinished task and all for the glory of our Saviour. Amen.